Father, right now, I just thank you for every person that's here. I thank you for their heart. I thank you that you, in your infinite knowledge and grace, from the very beginning, you knew we'd be here right now. You knew we'd be in this moment. And to that end, you have prepared me and you are continuing to prepare me. And Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to what you want to do in us. Because Father, we're not interested in being here and playing a game. We are here to grow. We are here to discover. And we want you to come. And Father, do something in us. That's our heart. That's our desire. And Father, I pray if our heart isn't that, that you change it. That you change it right now. Because we need you. I need you. And we know that you are here. And that you desire to do something deep inside of us because you love us. You love us just the way we are, but at the same time, Father, you love us so much that you don't want us to stay that way. So change us to be more like Jesus this day. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. We're going to continue our mess, our series this week on There Are No Outsiders. This is week two. Last week, we started in Luke 15. We talked about the parable of the lost coin and the parable of the lost sheep. Today, we're going to actually move on to the parable, parable of the lost son. And so if you have your Bibles, that's great. You can turn to Luke 15. If you do not, um, basically, we are going to uh, have it up on the screen for you. So you'll have it up there uh, when you want to look at it. So we're going to start with verse number 15, starting with verse number one. We'll read verse number one and two, kind of give you some, some background in case you weren't here last week. And then we'll jump in to a little bit more specifically what we're going to be sharing this morning. And it says this in verse number one of chapter 15. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So this is the basis now of the situation. Basically what has happened is Jesus has begun to teach people. They're beginning to hear what he has to say. And in this crowd of people, there is Pharisees, there are teachers of the law. There are basically, if I'll kind of bring it into 2018, there are the Christians, there are the pastors, there are the theology people. They are all there to listen to what Jesus has to say. And basically as this is happening, also tax collectors and sinners come up and they want to hear as well. And And basically, the Pharisees have a fit. They say, this is not the way it's supposed to be. You see, to a Pharisee and to a Jewish person at this time, there was a definite divide between what they considered to be holy and not holy. What was basically clean and unclean. And they believed very strongly that basically you were either one or the other. And if you didn't fit into those camps, uh, if you didn't fit into one of those camps, you did not associate with the other. And basically, Jesus here is not only teaching them, he's actually eating with them, which is basically in that time period a way of saying, I accept you, you are a part of me, and I'm glad you're here, a part of my life. So he is doing this, and they are complaining about it. They're saying, this shouldn't be. What are you doing? This is not right. And basically, Jesus, because of this attitude and because of their complaining, he tells these stories. So you have to understand the context. You have to understand why Jesus is telling these stories and who is hearing these stories. 
At this particular time, the Pharisees and the sinners are here listening to the stories. Now, last week we talked about the story of the lost coin and the story of the lost sheep. Today we're going to talk about the carol of the lost son. And just so you know, we're not going to talk about maybe what you think we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the older brother. We kind of look at kind of how he deals with this because you need to remember this. In all of these stories, we see three distinct groups of people. Okay, we see basically the Jesus or God figure, which is represented in the woman, in the shepherd, and in the father in each story. We see the loss or the sinner, which is represented by the not, the one sheep, the one coin, and of course the younger brother. And then we see basically the church or the Pharisees or the Christians, if that'll help you, which are represented by the 99, the nine coins, and the eldest son. So he's telling these stories, and each person has a very important part to play. Well, today we're going to focus in on one of my obviously, I mean, this is one of the most beautiful stories ever told. One of the most beautiful stories ever told is the story of the lost son. But we're going to start at the very end. So for those of you that may not know it, I'm going to give you a really quick rundown. There's a younger son, an older son, and a father. The younger son goes to the older, the father and says, I want my inheritance now. The father says, fine. He takes his money. He leaves and goes into a far off country. He wastes all his money. There's a famine in the land. He's in a real bad situation. So he comes to his senses and says, hey, I'll go home to my father. My father won't want me to be his son anymore, but I'll come home and maybe he'll let me be his servant. So he comes home as he's a far way away. The father sees his son, runs to his son, embraces him, accepts him back into his family as a son, and basically has a humongous party for him. That's where we're at. That's where we pick up the story, starting with verse number 25. It says this, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of his servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he says, told, and your father has killed the fatted calf. We are celebrating uh, because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat. For a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. The father said to him, Look, dear son, you've always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to, excuse me, to celebrate today, uh, celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life, he was lost. But now he has found one of the most beautiful stories of Scripture, one of the most image-filled stories of Scripture, one of these stories that I really, truly believe as much as it might bore you to death, I could spend six months on just Luke 15, 1 through 32. I'm not going to do that because, again, I want you to come back next week. But let's look at this story and let's look at what Jesus is really trying to help us to understand in this story because we believe here and I believe that Jesus feels the same way. There are no outsiders when it comes to the love and the grace and the good of God. But first we need to look at this, the older brother's first reaction. Look at verse number 15. It said, or no, verse number 28, chapter 15. It says, the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. 
His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. In all that time, you never gave me a young goat to feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. What a response. He's angry. He's bitter. He's mad. He doesn't understand. Remember where he's found at the beginning of this story. He's out working. He's out doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's doing his job. And he's out there. And is he coming into the house? I mean, he's probably sweaty. He's probably tired. He probably has just a lot going on. And he comes in. He hears this feasting and this party and goes what's going on and the guy says oh listen your brother is back and now your father is celebrating and the bible shares that he is angry he is upset he doesn't understand and he tells his father this he expresses this to his dad in a very very vivid way he is very proud he's very self-righteous he is a guy that is basically saying wait a minute don't you understand who that guy is don't you get it don't you know what he has done He begins to exaggerate things. He begins to say, I never. I remember when I was a kid. You remember this? When you were a kid and you had, you had um, tests and they were multiple choice or true or false. I used to like true or false tests. You know why? Because I thought they were easy. Because I had a mom who was a teacher and I, I kind of got to cheat in that way. Okay, And so mom would tell me these little, little, little cheats that she would say, listen, if you're doing a true or false test, If you ever see the word always or never, it's most likely false. So what's this guy say? I never did that. I never did what you... Now, let's let's stop. Let's just stop for a second here. Do we really believe that he never didn't do anything wrong? Do we really believe that he always did everything the father said? No. He was human. He was flawed. Now listen, he comes in this moment and basically says, I am perfect. I never did this. How could you do this? In the moment, he is actually lying. It cracks me up when people do that to me. They'll say, they'll say, I'm this, or I'm that, and I've never done this, and I've never, I'm blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, wow, great, you just sinned. Why? Pride. And so we have these moments where we're, all of a sudden we're beginning to get a view of this. Now, in the first two stories, we are focusing primarily on a couple of things. In the third story, it's like Jesus now has turned the spotlight, especially at the end here, onto basically, if you really want to get down to the nitty, 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 gritty, gritty, he focuses it directly on these people that are called Christians. You go, well, well, but, 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 Pastor, yes, uh, there really wasn't Christians at that time. Yes, I get that. But see, Jesus is so smart. He had this thought, you know, one day this weirdo in Broomfield, Colorado is going to share this. And I want this for those people. So remember, we have to understand who we are in the story. 
we have to understand what God is trying to get us to see. Because what has begun to happen here has begun, unfortunately, in too many places, begun to creep into the church and become to come kind of something that we're known for and something that we need to run from. And it creeps in slowly. It creeps in on, you know, it's not one of those things. Listen, let me explain something about the enemy. Now, sometimes he does this because he's just, you know, weird. But most of the time, the enemy does not do something like this to you. John, I'm going to use you as an example because I know you're going to love that. The enemy is not going to do this. Hello, John, how are you doing today? Guess what? In exactly two hours, I'm going to tempt you to sin and do something stupid that is going to remove you from God's presence. Got it? See it. Oh, it's 11. See it at 1 o'clock. Him do that. He comes in slowly. He comes in sneakily. Remember, remember what, what Jesus talks about the enemy. Remember, the, the, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And he does that not by the shepherd way that goes in through the gate. He comes in as a thief. He sneaks. He's quiet. He knows what he's doing. And in this situation, this has begun, I believe, to kind of seep in. And it's not a situation, folks, that like we wake up in the morning and we go, yes, I'm going to do this. Yes, this is going to be a part of my life. It just begins to happen slowly. And all of a sudden, we wake up one day, and if we're smart, and if we realize what God is trying to help us to see, we realize that we've done something very slowly and very innocently that can destroy a church and destroy people. It is very simple. Basically, one of the major problems the older son has is he's taken a situation and he's made it all about him. Listen to what he says here. Listen to how he responds. All these years, I've slaved for you. And all these times, you never gave me a young goat. Yet when this, check this out, when this son of yours pushing away This son of yours. You ever have that moment where your kid does something that you don't want him to do, and all of a sudden, that kid now belongs to the spouse? You know, when Easton's, you laugh. When Easton's perfect, that's my son. When he's not, you know, well, that's his mother's problem. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of what he's doing here. He's beginning to say, your son. Your person. Your, that outsider out there that doesn't belong here. It's all about him. You didn't do this for me. You, I have done this for you. I remember as a kid, and, and, and as strange as this sounds, I was a pretty decent kid. Like, I didn't do too many horrible, bad things. But I remember as a kid, like, I would want to do something. And the, probably the reason why I wasn't such a bad kid was because of my parents, the way they raised me. But just go with me. And I would, because I was a teenager, so I wasn't real smart at that time. You know, what, you know what I mean? And so I would come in there, and I would say, Mom and Dad, can I do this? And they would say, no. And I'd say, but Mom and Dad, these kids can do it. And they say, those aren't our kids. You can't do it. And I would walk away, and I'd say something like this. You know... My parents, ooh, ooh, they just drive me crazy. You know, you, 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 uh, can, can you imagine if I wasn't a good kid? Can you imagine if they had some other kid besides me? How wonderful I am, how I always do what. Oh my goodness, guess what? I just became the older brother. I, 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 me, 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 me. It's all about me. Listen, I mean this 
as, as seriously and as lovingly as I could say, if you could come to me, and let's, let's, just, let's do it this way. Let's say God plops down with me and has this conversation. He says, listen, Aaron, I got a question for you. And I'm like, yeah, God, what's up? He said, I will do anything you ask in the church. Anything you ask. You just got to ask it and I will do it. But you get one thing. What would it be? I think it would be, I would want the church to not be so self-centered on themselves. Because you think about that. That changed everything. That changed everything. I wouldn't say I want our worship to be this way. No, because when you get your ideas off yourself and off your focus off here and on God, that takes care of itself. I wouldn't say I want us to be more missions-minded. No, because when you get your focus off of here, you're getting your focus out on there, it's going to take care of itself. What was the first sin? It was pride. It was what they could get out of the deal by eating the fruit. We haven't changed, folks. And it gets in us slowly. And it gets in us kind of in those situations where we kind of get in and we kind of get, we kind of start to learn the songs and we kind of get to start to learn the lingo and we kind of learn the, and all of a sudden, whether we know it or not, all of a sudden we get to this place where it, we, it's become all about us. What we like, what we want, the temperature of the church that we think is right, the color of the carpet that we like, the way the stage is designed, the way this happens, the way that happens. And all of a sudden we realize that, that we have become something that we don't want to be. We've become the older brother. We have forgot to understand what the point of the story is. We have forgotten to understand that Jesus here is telling this story to people who need to understand that the situation is not about them. Remember what Jesus says, I didn't come for the well, I came for the sick. We have to remember what the mission of Jesus was. And he comes and he begins to share this. And you need to get this and hear this. Okay? You can live in the Father's house and be very, very far away from the Father's heart. Do you get that? You can live in the Father's house but be very, very away from the Father's heart. And this was the older brother. He lived with his dad, but didn't know his dad. What a tragedy. What a horrible thing. He had the opportunity to know. He should not, listen, it should not have come to a surprise, as a surprise to the older brother that his father responded that way. He should not have had to ask the servant what was going on. He should have known there was only one thing that would have caused a party like that. My brother, who was dead, has come alive again. But instead, he says, your son, who's wasted your money on prostitutes. It's amazing. Nowhere here do we hear how, hey, he was dead and now alive. Nowhere here do we hear about his brother and caring about him. All he's caring about at this point is himself, the money, and what he didn't get. Now, I want to help you understand something here. Because it's something that we miss. And I'm going to jump back. It's not in your notes, but I want you to understand this. In the first parable, this parable of the lost sheep, We have a very interesting story here. Now, again, we have to remember who our audience is, who Jesus is speaking to. But in this verse, we see in verse number three, it says this. Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, 
What will he do? Now, I looked into this because I was curious, because you kind of deal with this situation where, what about the 99? Aren't the 99 important? We talked about that really briefly last week, and I held off on this portion because I felt like it fit better here. But you need to understand something. That word lost in the Greek, the understanding of that word is the same word that Jesus uses in John 3.16 when he talks about those without him who will perish. Do you understand the imagery that Jesus is giving off here? He is not giving off this idea of a sheep wandering off, being out in a field, everything is happy. He is giving this idea off that basically without the shepherd going to find the sheep, the sheep will be perishing, will be eternally separated from him. This is not a sheep that is lost. This is a sheep that is in great danger. This is a sheep that without the shepherd being willing to go, the sheep has no chance. It will die. It will perish. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, for who do not believe in him will without, blah, 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 perish. Well, you think I'd know that verse by now. <laughs> I'll learn it. Trust me, I'll learn it. Don't go, oh, my pastor doesn't even do not John 3, 16. I'm, my mind's my, I'm too fast right now. So you know what I'm talking about. Perish, gone, destroyed, eternal separation. You see, that is the picture that the hearers are getting. It's not this idea of a lost sheep on a field someplace. It is somewhere with this sheep is in trouble. And Jesus leaves the 99. Now look back here in this verse really quickly because it says this. He says, won't he leave the 99 in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost? Again, same word. Until he finds it. Now, what happens, and what I find in most churches, is we don't like to be left alone. We don't like the fact that we're the 99 and we are being left alone. That the shepherd, quote unquote, is going to focus on something and someone else. That's uncomfortable for us. But you have to understand what the hearers are hearing here. You have to understand what Jesus is communicating. The 99 are safe. Yes, they're in the wilderness. Yes, they're not getting the attention maybe that they desire. But they're safe. Jesus is leaving to go find the one that isn't. He is leaving the 99. Listen, there are going to be times. I'm going to tell you right now. So when you come into my office and say this, I'll say, remember March 11, 2018? You're going to go, no. And I'm going to say, well, here, here's the, here's the CD or, or whatever we have in 20 years, you know robots or whatever, you know, and listen to this and you'll remember. There are going to be times where as a church, we are going to go find the one and it's going to make you uncomfortable. You're going to say, you're not focusing in on me. And I'm going to say, you're right, because you're safe. Because it's not all about you. You're safe. Now, does that mean that we'll do everything forever? No, no. Listen, I want you to understand this. I want you to hear my heart here. I believe that to be a church and to be a church that is what God intended for it to be, there is always going to be give and take. That's what families do. They give and take. But I'm going to tell you this right now. As the Christians, as the mature ones, you should be able to take less. I'm sorry. You should be able to take less. Why? Because you're safe. Because you're safe. Because there are people out there that aren't safe. There are people out there that are perishing. There are people out there that are lost. And we've got to be willing as a church to go find them. 
because they're not capable of finding it on their own. What Jesus is trying to get us to understand here is the lost aren't going to make it home on their own. We have got to go to them. You can't sit in a church, wait there and go, okay, here we are. We got great music. Here we are. We got great decent speaking. Here we are. We got air conditioning. We'll just wait here and they'll flock in. doesn't work that way. We go to them. We go find the lost sheep. Every single one of us does. We have that opportunity. We get to be a part of that. But I'll tell you this, if we don't have an urgency, if we don't understand that they're perishing, if we don't understand that the lost here really means eternal separation from Jesus, we'll sit here and wait for them to come to us and we'll miss it. I used to tell my kids, I don't go to your school. How can I reach him if I don't go to your school? I don't go to your work. If I did, they'd throw me out. That's why God placed you there. Listen, you really think God just gave you that place or that position so you could, you know, like, make money? What are you, seriously? God could just, I mean, yeah, that's a part of it. But but God is doing it. He is placing you there specifically. You think that God just gives you people that you contact with and are a part of their lives just, just so you have something to do on a Saturday night? God's bigger than that, guys. God has big plans for you and big plans for us. But if we don't understand this, if our, if our focus is on us and what we want, we're going to miss it. If we're sitting here as a church and going, hey, look, We got 99. Remember the story last week? A shepherd with 99 sheep is rich. He's got plenty of sheep. Ah, That's just one. And let me remind you something. Whether you did it when you were five, or you did it when you were 55, or you'll do it when you're 95, at one time or another, you were that lost one. And Jesus found you. He came and searched for you because he loved you. So the older son, man, you'd go, boy, he's just not getting it. Boy, he just doesn't understand. Yeah, I know. And with that, now we get to look at the reaction of the father. Look at verse number 28, and then we're going to jump to verses 31 and 32. The older brother came in and was angry. He wouldn't go in. And his father came out, check this out, and begged him. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We have to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He is lost, but now he's found. Listen, the father loved the older son. Check this out. He loved the older son just as much as he loved the younger one. He begged him to come in. He begged him. Now, listen, let's be honest. At times, I don't think I would have responded that way. I probably would have been like, you know what, dude? You need to grow up. You know what, dude? Seriously. Really? I probably, honestly, I've probably been like, you know that stuff that was yours? (laughs) Go get it. But he doesn't. He begs him to come in. He desires for him to come in. He loves him that much. Do you understand the love of the father? I love this story because in both instances, the father is willing to love the sons even in their mistakes. Even in their mess ups. Even in the And I love when God does this. The ugly things in their life. God comes. And he 
he says, come. And then he does something absolutely beautiful. He teaches him. He says, listen, this is why we're doing what we're doing. This is why this is important. This is why we had to do this. So not only does the father come in love, not only does the father come and beg, not only does the father come and say, come be a part of this joyful moment, he says, let me explain to you why. I love that about God. When God will take us and he'll say, Aaron, this is what I want you to do. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a child sometimes. And I'll say, but God, 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 why? And God will say, because I want you to learn something. I want you to grow into something. I want you to understand why I do what I'm doing. Remember why Jesus is doing this. He is teaching these people to understand how he sees the lost. He is helping them to understand that they need to change their mindset and get it off of themselves and onto people. Listen, the father here does not scold the son at all. He doesn't say he's disappointed. He doesn't say, how could you? He doesn't say, I, I, I raised you better than this. No, he begs him to come in and explains his heart. Remember what I said earlier. You can live in the father's house, but not always know the father's heart. You understand what this morning is all about. It's understanding that God desires to change our hearts. And he wants to help us to grow in this area. And you say, well, well yeah, well, I'm pretty good. Well, that's awesome. That's great. Let's get better. Let's, let's, let's go a little bit further. And it's not that God is disappointed or that I'm disappointed. It's, it's a situation where God says, oh, I'm so proud of you. You're doing such a good job. Listen, let's go a little bit further. Let's, 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 let's get a little bit deeper in me. That isn't a shameful thing. That isn't a how could you think. That, that's a father holding a hold of, of his son's or daughter's hand and saying, come on, you can do it. You can do it. A little bit deeper, a little bit deeper. You ever done that with a child? Get the little wading pool, a little, little baby pool? And, and, and you know, when, when kids are young and they're learning how to swim, we like put them in 400 flotation devices. And we're in three inches of water, you know? And so you grab, grab your son or daughter's hand and you say, come on, it's okay. And they kind of get in and they get in. And they get a little bit further and they get a little bit further. And then there's that moment where it's like they go, okay, I'm done. And you're like, son, the water's only to your ankles. You'll be okay. And then maybe a little bit further. That's what God loves to do with us. He loves to kind of take us along and help us in a loving way. And say, say, listen, you can go further. You can go further. You can go further. Because one thing you need to understand about what God has for you, God made you, designed you to swim. To swim. Not to be knee deep in him. Not to be ankle deep with him. Not to be waist deep with him. Fully immersed in him. Covered. Ocean covered. But you can't get there if you stay on the shore. You can't get there if you're just willing to get your feet in. The love of the Father is huge. The love of the Father is massive. The love of the Father extends further than just the younger son. 
it goes to the older son as well. And when we study this, quite honestly, a lot of times we look at the relationship between the older son and the father and we see a strained relationship. We see a relationship that isn't what it needs to be. But we also need to understand that the father here is begging him to come and enjoy the party. Maybe in a moment of honesty and, and, and the Spirit's conviction, you go, oh my goodness. I am much more the older son than I am the younger. Or I am much more the older son than I am the father with people that I know and people that I have come in contact with. You know what? If that's the case, your father right now is begging you to come in. He wants you. He wants you. He loves you. His reaction is not one of, how could you? His reaction is one of, let me help you so that you can come join the party. Because here's the beautiful thing. The father and both sons were created for the party, not for the pig pen. Do you get that? They were created for the party, not the pig pen. And it's interesting that in this story, you see two brothers in two completely different situations having two pity parties because of the actions that they've took or the actions that other people have taken. And in those moments, they would have missed what God had for them. The final thing I want to look at is this. The reaction, or the older brother's second reaction. The older brother's second reaction. Now, the problem with looking at the older brother's second reaction is quite simply this. We don't know. We're not told. All we get And in your notes, you'll look at this, is a question mark. We don't know. We don't know what happens. We don't know how he responds. It ends with verse number 32. When you have celebrated this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life, he is lost and now he's found. Story closes. We don't know. We don't know what happens with the older son. We don't know if he understands what the father is teaching him and he enters into the joy of the celebration. We don't know if he goes back into the fields. We don't know if he runs away. We don't know. His story is left open-ended. So now the question becomes, what do we do? How do we respond? If the worship team wants to come on up, we're going to close with this. As we look at who Jesus was teaching here, they were smart. They understood the story. The Pharisees understood who they were in this. They knew they were the older brother. As we continue looking at the life of Jesus as a whole, the elder brother stayed the older brother. Now, there was a couple... That changed. There was a couple who not only heard the words of Jesus, but let them penetrate their heart. There was a couple who understood just to live in God's house doesn't mean that you always will understand the heart of the Father. You say, well, Aaron, what do I do? Because here's the dirty little secret. Sometimes, probably more than I care to admit, it's all about me too. 
There are certain things I like. There are certain things I prefer. And it's not always easy for me to say, you know what, it's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's about what God has for us. And just so you know, a little opening up and so you understand, there's been things on those boards that are DNA that I did not want to write down. I didn't, I just was like, oh God, I don't, ah. And God said, Aaron, you, gotta, you, you really have to make a decision here, right here from the start. He said, you can either do this the way you want it done, or you can do it the way I want it done. And maybe I just know my own frailty and my own faults enough to say, God, if we do it the way I want it done, we're in trouble. So God, whatever you want, however you want, do it. And I had to let Jesus change my heart. I had to let Jesus help me to understand that it's not all about me all the time. One of the most beautiful things, we're studying marriage, and one of the most beautiful things anyone ever taught me about marriage was this. They said, if you take care of your wife and your wife takes care of you, if that is your prime objective, when that happens, you both will have all your needs met because you'll meet them for each other. What's amazing about my God is when I allow myself to put my agendas aside and my desires aside and let his agenda come forth, my needs always get met. Always get met. I don't know how he does it. I don't understand. There's moments where you just go, huh? There's moments where God goes, you know how you wanted A? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. He's like, no, I got Z for you. And guess what? Z makes A look ridiculously small. And you go, wow, that is amazing. But if I had grabbed a hold of A and I said, no, 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 it's A, it's A, it's A. I want A, I gotta have A, I gotta have A, I gotta Then we'd miss what God has. It's good to have dreams. It's good to have plans. It's good to have desires. Those are not wrong. But they should never be the law. We should always have the opinion of others before myself. And when we can do that, when we do that, God takes care of all the rest. So would you do me a favor? Let's, let's just close our eyes for a second. And we're going to close. But let's be honest, okay? There is, there is silly things to do. And one of the silliest things we can do is lie to ourselves and God. So let's just be honest with ourselves, okay? Do we need God to change our hearts? Do we need God to come in and do we need God to do some rearranging? Have we allowed things to creep in 
And again, remember, guys, this is, this is not, if you're going, oh, this is me. No, okay, listen, that's okay. It, it, you didn't wake up this morning and go, I'm going to be selfish. I'm going to make everything about me. It, it happens slowly. This isn't guilt. This isn't shame. God does not work in guilt and shame. But he does work in conviction. And he does that to draw us to himself. He does that to change our hearts. But as we look honestly with ourselves, look into our hearts and we say, you know what, Jesus, if I'm honest with myself, this has become all about me. This has become what I desire more than anything else. And Jesus, right now, I need you to change me. I need to not just live in your house. I need to know your heart. Not just how you see the younger son, but also how you see me as the older one. And he loves you. And he desires to change you. He desires for you to have a new birth of freedom and a new birth of understanding and a new birth of change inside of you. Remember, God does not put new wine in old wineskins, folks. And that has nothing to do with age. It has everything to do with flexibility and understanding that quite possibly it's time to let God do something brand new deep inside of you that he hasn't done maybe ever or in a long time. So I'm going to pray over you and with you and for you. And then we're going to come and John and the worship team is going to lead us in worship. Father, we love you. And Father, we live in a world and in a society where it is all about us. What we want, what we need, what we desire. And if we don't get it and if we don't have it, we're gone. And Father, that's the world's view. Father, that is the world's understanding. It's all about me. I get what you can while the getting is good. And Father, the problem with that is that it's in complete and total contradiction to what your word has told us. It does not mean that we should not care about ourselves. It means we should care more about you and others before that. And so, Father, I pray for my own life and for the lives of those that are open to this, that, God, right now, you would begin to change me. Father, right now, you would begin to mold and fix my heart. That, Father, in those moments where it becomes about me, where I become a situation where I say, no, God, they don't deserve it. God, God, they did this. God, they did that. God, don't you know I am a pastor? I did this. That, God, you would just... Just quiet me down and say, son, they were dead and alive. Let's celebrate. Stop worrying about you getting yours. You're with me. You are safe. And all I have is yours. But right now, it's not about you. And let us, in those moments, to change and enter into the party. Enter into the extravagance of your love and grace and mercy and not miss it.
So, Father, change us. Change us from the inside out in every way, shape, and form. We love you. You are so good. You are so good. And we love you so much.